Lord has given to the Apostle Paul and he writes down for us. And uh, really, we're going to focus our attention in what a portion of what would be called the Romans road to salvation. And all of this in suit with the nation of Israel. We thank God for this dispensation of grace that we live in. That there's no respecter of persons but God. And uh, He is the God both to the Jew and the Gentile. We thank the Lord for that ushering in of God's grace. And uh, the Apostle Paul makes a great, large declaration of just spreading the gospel. And I want to remind you that there's a great, overwhelming sense of attack on the gospel of Jesus Christ in our, our world and our society. You can see it. You can feel it. It's very tangible. It's very real. It's uh, all around us. It is continuing to grow amongst major corporations and organizations, the spirit of the Antichrist. Even as John said in 1 John, that the spirit of the Antichrist already is amongst us. And that was in his day. And as that uh, return of the Lord, that imminent return is soon, is at hand, is present, uh, that spirit is definitely growing more and more and more and more. And so the gospel, as we believe it, the good news, the greatest thing that could ever be given and received and, and followed suit with in your life or anyone's life, it's under attack. It's under attack. Many different ways. Many different ways. I don't know. I was talking to the men yesterday after the golf outing, and I said, you know, this week I, I was uh, prompt and uh, um, I was pushed, if you will, to, to go on the website of the Black Lives Matter. Many people just kind of associate it with being an issue of racism. That's not their agenda. If you go under the, the beliefs, there's a, a number of things that they willfully uh, want to do in disruption and disorganization to what is traditionally conservatism in America and uh, Christian views associated with transgender movement and homosexuality and uh, just a number of other things there uh, tearing down um, these concrete fortified things in our culture such as police officers and uh, removing what is the norm and what is conservative views and replacing them with so many ungodly things so uh, you know we want to be aware and uh, the gospel is under attack it is under uh, under attack and so this morning we're going to look in Romans chapter 10 and uh, again verse uh, chapter 9 we're, we're going to backtrack and talk about some things here we kind of left off the last time we were teaching uh, really in Romans 9 and verse 4, and he gives us this declaration pertaining to the nation of Israel. It says uh, in verse 4, Who are Israelites to whom pertaineth the adoption, number one, and the glory, number two, and the covenants, number three, and the giving of the law, number four, and the service of God, number five, and the promises, number six. I mean, God's people are His chosen people for a reason, and God has a plan, and He's kind of postponed that plan, but it's not that he has taken his eye off of them entirely. God's going to fulfill his desire and his plan, and his word will be uh, coming to pass soon and very soon. And I love this whole passage because it deals with the grace of God and the mercy of God. If really it, you wanted to kind of underline verse 14 in chapter 9 all the way to verse 24, this group of text, it deals with God's mercy. And God's mercy... Uh, as we think about the nation of Israel, also there's an element of his sovereignty. Uh, I love how um, Paul talks about salvation. He talks about faith. What is salvation? Salva you know, people talk about faith. What is faith? What is fa faith is salvation and salvation is faith. They go hand in hand. And it revolves around the person of Jesus Christ. You can't have faith 
what is faith as the Bible states it? It is something of a substance. It is something that's real. It's tangible. It's life-changing. It's, it's meat, if you will. It's substance. As the Bible says, be no more tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You know, there's a sense of concrete truth that holds us, that grounds us, that fortifies us. And that is faith in Jesus. That's doctrine. That's the Word of God. And so he, he gives us this passage in verse 17 of chapter 10. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. I love how you study the book of Acts. You study this in correlation with Paul's epistles. And you can see even in the book of Acts and yea, even in the book of Romans, just the Word of God being preached to give clarity to who Jesus is as he is the Messiah and was the Messiah. And they witnessed this. And you men of Israel, you crucified him. And uh, all of the Word of God in the Old Testament points to him and it represents that Messiah that would come. And here that fulfillment has been. And this is who you killed. And I, I love that Paul is just reminding us that faith, it cometh by hearing. What's the necessity for the church? It's God's word to be preached. It's God's word to be taught. And there's two things that are important in the Bible. Two major points that are important. Paul said that I would that all men come into the knowledge to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. You know, so those two thoughts, being saved is most important. The gospel should be preached, right? Amen. And then the Bible talks about the thought of the mystery and understanding the eternal purpose of God, knowing what God's plan is for us today, and what, uh, what God is doing in the body of Christ. And these things are important. And so, you know, Paul said um, in Ephesians chapter 3, that his ministry and our ministry is to make all men see what is the fellowship of what? The mystery. To know what God is doing. And uh, so those two things are very important. You can't make people get saved. And you can't make Christians see the mystery. All you can do is teach it. All you can do is preach it. All you can do is as the God of heaven gives you an open door of utterance that you might speak it. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I believe that statement is in inconsistency with the scriptures concerning salvation. But also, have you not in your own personal life grown as the word of God's been preached? And that faith has taken root and it's been developed over a period of time. Why? Because you hear the word of God. You're convinced by the Word of God. The Holy Spirit speaks it. And it's black and white. It's right there. And as you see it, your minds are open. And you receive it. He says, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, verily, their sound went into all the earth and their words unto the ends of the world. But I say, did not Israel know? First Moses saith, I will reprove, uh, uh, re excuse me, I will provoke you to jealous, jealousy. By them that are no people, and by foolish, by foolish nation, I will anger you. But Isaiah is very bold, and saith, I was found of them that sought me not. I was not, excuse me, I was made manifest unto them that asked not after me. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I have stretched forth my hands. Notice this. This is where they're at. Unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. We're talking about the book of Romans. Just by title, it's not dealing with the nation of Israel. The Romans weren't Jews. And so here Paul is writing this declaration of how man can be in right standing with God. And it's through the person of Jesus Christ. Through this Jewish man, he was not only born of a woman, but he was born of a virgin. And speaking of his humanity, this people would bring forth a Messiah, 
a Savior would be born and He would uh, uh, save the world from their sins. That He would uh, come into His own and, and then the mercy of God would be shown round about God's glory and through this life, through this person, through His death, through His burial, through His resurrection. And this is, you see where the nation of Israel is. You kind of, as you begin to study your Bible, you see where Paul, as we taught this past Wednesday, three places in the book of Acts where God was directing Paul's attention no longer to the Jews, but now to the Gentiles. And why? Verse 21. But to Israel, he saith, all day long I stretch forth my hands into a disobedient and gainsaying people. Look with me in the book of Acts. We're going to kind of go to a few different places here, but go to Acts. And if you recall the, the ministry of Stephen, and what I love about Romans chapter 10 is you find this consistent with Old Testament men of God. You find it consistent with New Testament men of God. They're going to take the Bible and they're going to defend their faith with the Word of God. They're going to draw the line from one dot to the next and they're going to use the Scripture to do that. Don't say, don't get in the habit of this is what I believe. Get in the habit of saying this is what the Bible says. It's a much more solid defense. This is what the Word of God says. It doesn't matter what I believe. It matters what the Word of God believes and says and states. So uh, even if a preacher says it, don't believe him. Look in the Bible. Make sure it's there in the Word of God. Have that uh, uh, st stability. And so I love as we look even at, at Stephen. Here he is. He's preaching. And uh, you know the story as uh, he's preaching the Word of God. And people are just, they're listening at one point, and And yet uh, they're filled with anger. Uh, if you will, you can even look back in chapter 2 uh, at Peter. And Peter's standing up on the day of Pentecost in verse 14. But Peter's standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice. You know, that's what preaching is, to lift up. There's a big difference in preaching and teaching. And if you notice, even in the book of Ephesians, Paul speaks about the gifts that God gave to the church. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors, some teachers. What? For what reason? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now let me say this. Someone said in the South they have a lot of emotion in their churches. And I would say that's probably true. In the North there's a lot of articulation. And I would say that is probably historically true and somewhat fading now. But the point is, God would have us to have both of them. To know the Word of God is important. But to have no change in your life, no motive in your life, no difference in your life, no, uh, God wants to be, does God want to control your emotions? Absolutely. Does God work in an emotional way? Jesus did. Jesus what? He wept. That was filled with emotion, wasn't it? And so, man, sometimes in the South, I've heard people talk, well, I, I talked to a preacher probably a year ago and I said, how was your service this morning? And he said, well, it was one of the it was one of the great ones. It was a great one. What does that mean? Well, we didn't have any preaching. People just were flooding the altar, and I don't know the situation. And uh, on one side of the word, that is amazing. Praise the Lord. But I know also in consistency with the Bible, faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. I know at the end of preaching, there should be a call to repentance. There should be a call to change. There should be a an invitation made so you can make a decision with, with a choice with, with the words that you've heard. And sometimes, um, 
you know, emotions are conjured up. And uh, uh, it should be it should be both. But here we are in the book of Acts and we're kind of looking at Stephen a little bit and um, the, the state of the church and just seeing what's going on. The Bible says in Acts chapter five, it says down in verse eight, and Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and miracles among the people. He was uh, he was a great man of God, was he not? Um, he was a deacon. If you notice uh, the requirements of a deacon in First Timothy chapter three, they are to be found faithful already in these things. Um, you, you, I hope that you are kind of cautious of people that need a title without the responsibility. Amen. I hope that the responsibility is there. If you look down in verse 2, it says, Then the twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God. There's the responsibility of the pastor. And serve tables. That's the election of the deacon. And it's a little bit different of economy then than it is now. But there's still that thought. And Stephen, if you notice... Um, um, well, look in verse 3. It says, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven, seven men of honest report. This is, this is the criteria. This is the uh, portfolio. This is the standard. Honest report. You know, in business, honest report. Paying bills, honest report. And this and that. It says, full of the Holy Ghost. What does that mean to be full of the Holy Ghost? Now, this is something sketchy. You think about it, man, I'm just kind of thinking about the South and um, because I just took a trip down there. But this is this is relevant in what I'm saying. There's there's a lot of preachers. That's, you know, I listened to a preacher the other day on YouTube. And he, was, he was just starting out his message. And he got up there and he said, I'm not searching for words. I'm searching for the Holy Ghost. What does that mean? That the Holy Ghost is automatically going to somehow supernaturally, uh, boom, hit your body and then automatically. You know, what that means is the man probably didn't study that week and he's kind of searching for something to say and he's got this good message that he preaches and this good message that he preaches and he just does. You know, I tell you what being filled with the Holy Spirit of God is. It's a pure and holy and Christ-like life. That's what it is. And that's when you have power in your preaching. When you've lived all week long in a way that's godly and Christ-honoring, and then you stand there in that purity preaching the Word of God. That's what Stephen was. Stephen was this kind of man. And the Bible says he was filled with wisdom. Uh, he was full of the Holy Ghost. He was of honest report. The Bible says in verse 8, and Stephen full of faith, he believed God and power. Again, that power there is referring to something that's different in that dispensation than ours. And you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses. You know, what's the power that we have today? The fruit of the Spirit. You know, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That's the powerful Christian life. It's not these apostolic abilities to raise the dead or heal the sick or, uh, you know. And, and again, there's a lot of... Uh, man, I was talking to a family that I'm working for this week and she gave me this uh, print off of their denomination, and it's the Church of God. That's kind of interesting. Three. 
Amen. And um, so he, here she is. She's giving me this prayer off. And one of the one of the statements is because they don't rightly divide the Bible. You know, they're talking about being filled with the Holy Ghost to speak in tongues. And uh, there's so many things there. It's just not accurate. But I'm trying to get to a point here. Let me get on. Uh, let me get on to what I'm saying here. Stephen, he's he's full of the Holy Ghost. And then if you look fast forward into chapter seven, what is he doing? Chapter seven, he's preaching. He's preaching. He's taking the word of God and he's preaching the word of God. Uh, if you look down in verse twenty-two, chapter seven. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and in deeds. And when he was full 40 years old, he came in his heart to visit his children, his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer wrong, he defended him. So he's going back to the Old Testament and he begins to defend the Lord Jesus Christ. You can fast forward and he says in verse 38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake unto him in the Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us to whom our fathers would not obey but trust him. So again, he's talking about the Old Testament. Then he goes down to verse, well, verse uh, 40, 45, which our fathers that came after brought in with Jesus into the possession of the Gentiles, whom God drave out for the face of our fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him in house, albeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, and he, as he saith, as saith the prophets, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool, what house will ye build me, saith the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Hath not my hand made all these things? Verse 51 is important. You see, what you, you do one or two things with, with, with the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It does. The Word of God generates faith. The Word of God also generates hatred, animosity, bitterness. It generates it in the sense of that person not receiving it, but rejecting it. And that's what they did. Verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. Look with me, fast forward in Romans chapter 10. Again, look down in verse 21. But to Israel he said, All day long I have stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people. What did they do when Stephen preached? At the end of it, they ran upon him, gnashing on him with their teeth. They killed him. They did. And again, Paul is uh, one that was born out of due time. He was more zealous than all of his uh, other uh, co-laborers, if you will. And God chose him as he kicked against the pricks to do something amazing to show the grace of God and the love of God, the unmerited favor. What is grace? I mean, the textbook definition is the unmerited favor and love of God. Something that we don't deserve. And God does that in the Apostle Paul's life. And here he is, he's preaching. And he's talking in chapter 9 about the nation of Israel. And he's talking about um, his heart. You remember as we kind of uh, looked in...
this passage, chapter 9, look in Romans chapter 9, verse 1. I say the truth in Christ, I lie not my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I wish, for, for I could wish that myself were cursed from Christ for my what? His brethren. And then look in chapter 10 and verse 1. Brethren, my heart's desire my prayer to God for Israel is that they might be what? Saved. And then he begins to talk about salvation. That's, that's something that is needed today. The gospel. And I love chapter 10 because it's so simple. It's so simple. And yet there is a supernatural work that God does in that moment. Even with the ignorance of that person. I didn't know all what God was doing in my life when I got saved. But in that moment, there was change that was made. Unique change. Look in verse 8 of chapter 10. He says, but what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Again, what is faith? James speaks about it. There's an element of substance. We're not talking about fairy tales. We're not talking about Santa Claus. We're not talking about something that's not real. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Is that real? Absolutely. You know, there's some supernatural, amazing things in this book. But as you begin to study the book, you see how complex it is. Man, just one truth that it resonates in my heart over and over and over again that God is real is the complexity of this book and how over all of this human history, all of these years, and over all of this landmass and separation from one human author to the next, there's such completion and complementary words that are given that this author didn't know this author and this one didn't know that one and maybe this one knew that one but they weren't in the same 10 mile radius living in the same village and yet God worked through all of those boundaries to give us his full complete word of God as you study it as you begin to study it more and more and more and more, you see, wow, this the statistics of this plausibly coming together just by happenstance, it would be out of this world. And, and, and to know how complete it is. Why? Because faith, there's something in faith. That, that, that something is, is a person. Look in chapter 11, he says down in verse 6, and if by grace, then it is no more works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it is no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. Here we have God trying to reach the nation of Israel. And Paul's heart is poured out to his people. And he's trying to tell them the message of this economy back in the Old Testament. And this new thing that God is doing. And he's doing it through the person of Jesus Christ. It's the grace of God. It's the grace of God. And from verse 9 all the way down to the end of the chapter, you see the grace of God. Is it the grace of God that you were saved? Did we seek after God? I know there's this truth of man needing to find God and needing that God has put that 
that desire to some degree in our life and in our being, in our body. And that's why man searches in this direction, searches in that direction. You know, that's why people are filled with religion. They want these different things. You know, I don't want to point you to religion. I want to point you to Christ. Big difference. And and this is, you know, it, it, it is something that God puts in it in our life. And yet at the same time, I, didn't, I wasn't looking for him. He, he was looking for me. I mean, not in the sense he didn't know where I was at, but that God in his sovereignty, knowing that day, that time, that you and I would be born. Verse 8 says, Now what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thine heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. You don't preach faith where you preach. Nothing. Verse 9. Here's faith. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth. I have a problem with people that say they're Christians and they never confess it. I was talking to a lady uh, this week in Frankenmuth and she said, my whole subdivision, my whole subdivision, there's a lot of people that profess to be Christians but they don't go to church. They profess to be uh, Christians but they don't live the right kind of life and they're drinking and they're doing this and they're doing this. I know it's possible for a Christian to fall into that sin. I'm not saying that that's impossible. It is. But man, with these people that you never see a change in their life, you do question. If there's no uh, outward confession of it, if you're ashamed, why? Now, Peter was ashamed. Didn't mean it. You know, he, he, he didn't walk with God because he did. But he still had some completion that needed to be made in his own life. He says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now, I'm from the old school. I kind of like it when a person gets saved in church and someone's been discipling them and witnessing to them that that person comes forward and they get saved or they're in the office and they get saved. But either in that service or... The next service or somewhere along the line, that person makes it a public testimony. I got saved. I remember Brother Denny telling us, just telling me personally how he was on the phone with this person and this person. Hey, God changed my life and I got saved. And in, in, in many cases, uh, friends saying, oh, that's wonderful. I've been saved too. And it should be that way. It should be a natural thing. Why? Because the excitement, the joy, the difference, the change. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Now this is talking about the actual communication. Now someone would say, if you don't pray verbally and ask God to save you, then you're not saved. I don't believe in that. God knows the heart without man speaking it. God knows if he knows our thoughts and our imaginations. When does conception begin? This was an issue at Bath when I first got there. First service I preached, there was three young people that got saved. Two boys out of one family over here to my left and about three rows back. And there was another, uh, well, lady in her 30s that I, I because I'm new, and I said uh, uh, during invitation time, uh, if the Lord has spoken in your heart, pray this prayer with me. And uh, meaning this prayer in your heart, 
Isn't that the same thing that you do one-on-one with a person? Stephen, uh, uh, the Ethiopian uh, eunuch said, how must I know except one, someone guide me, someone show me? The whole salvation experience is he that winneth souls is what? Wise. So there has to be this direction pointing, this, this leading. So if you say one-on-one, if you say verbally at a funeral, and that person raises their hand, I don't know their heart to say they didn't get saved because they didn't cry three hours. You know what I'm saying? And I think sometimes you know our, our eye affects our heart. Well, you know, I really feel like they got it. Okay, because that's what the Bible says. I'll tell you what the Bible does say. That if thou shalt confess... With thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. There should be some kind of form of communication, a prayer. That mouth is connected to what component in the body? That's the heart. Where does God look? Does the mouth all, sometimes lie of what really lies within the heart? Absolutely. You ever, you ever don't raise your hand. You ever said one thing but you meant something else. So God's looking at the heart, but I think the communication should be there. There should be some kind of uh, 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 language, some kind of unspoken word, some kind of sign, if you will. God, I know I'm a sinner. It says, "And shall believe." In thine heart. That's where the believing is. It's in the heart. The mouth is just this um, member of the body that expresses that belief that's birthed into the heart. My father-in-law said that he preached a funeral the other day and he had about 15 hands raised for salvation. Praise God. Funerals are awkward. There's not always an opportunity to go one-on-one. You know what? I've heard stories of uh, uh, people finding a track at a gas pump and reading that track and on the back of it, it having a prayer to follow and they reading that prayer and meaning it in their heart and then God calling that man to preach and later on him giving his own personal testimony. Was there a soul winner there? No. God's word doesn't come, return void. And, 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 and this power, powerful passage is all about salvation. There's still power in salvation. Unto salvation. Uh, uh, he says, for the heart, verse 10, for with the heart man, what? Believeth. It's not the mouth. Praise God. You know, politicians speak with their mouth, not always their heart. Oh, to God, wouldn't it be wonderful to have a group of Christians that just spoke with their heart. Spoke with a heart. Believeth un, the heart believeth unto righteousness. Now it's unique. The Bible talks about the heart. The heart is desperately wicked. And who can know it? The only one that can know it is God. And the only one that can change it is God. And the beginning of that change is salvation. It's salvation. The heart man. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Righteousness. You look down, uh, this thought of righteousness 
it, it means the righteousness of God. It is the reckoning. It is the belief that a man has in his heart with God. Believers are righteous. Why? Because God is righteous. Look in Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. This is not our righteousness. You know, Titus speaks of that. Not by the righteousness which we have done, but by the washing of the regeneration of the Holy Ghost. He says in Romans chapter 3, down in verse 21, But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifest, being witnessed by the law, even and, 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 uh, and, and the prophets, even the righteousness of whom? Of God. Which is how? By faith. That word faith is important because if you go back to Romans chapter eight, uh, chapter 10 and verse 8, But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse, 10, uh, verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. How, how is all of this how is all of this possible? Look in verse 15. Or verse uh, verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom, whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them which preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. That's the Definition of what the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel is. It's the gospel of peace. The glad tidings of good things. Isn't it wonderful to commit yourself to something that's bigger than you are, to something that's eternal? Have you ever led someone to the Lord? It's life-changing. It's exciting. It's, it's really thrilling. It's powerful. And we talk about all the chaos all of the confusion, all of the destruction in our world and our society. And, and I know sometimes it feels like we can't make a difference. But we can. The only difference that can be made is through the gospel. Stop looking at a thousand people to preach to and look at one-on-one to preach to. Stop looking for huge opportunities and just find a little small window that you can put the gospel in. I mean, it's powerful. There's... Uh, person in our church the other day that texted me and said, or called me and said, Pastor, I just want you to know, man, I was putting gospel tracks in this part of the grocery store where the beers are. I was like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. That's powerful. Man, that, yesterday we were on visitation after golf and uh, we went to this one house to uh, talk to some people and right across the street there was uh, probably six men and I walked over with gospel tracks, and they all had Budweiser's and drinking. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to lie. They're all probably three or four inches taller than me, big men. And uh, there's a little bit of intimidation. But you know what? There's power in the gospel. None of those men accepted Christ. But that doesn't mean that that gospel track is going to return void. You know, and, and, and who knows? Maybe no one is around and one of those men with his heart reads that and he believes. And then he says in verse 11, this is powerful. This is for the Christian. 
this is where we have to take. There is a change that's made. And that change sometimes is progressive. It's a lifelong change that the Holy Spirit working in us through God's Word. But I hope this is your verse. I hope this is something that you would hold to. For the Scripture saith. For the Scripture saith. Isn't that important? That's important. I hope that phrase resonates in your soul this morning. For the Scripture saith. What does CNN say? What does Fox say? What does your neighbor say? What, what does your friend say? What does your girlfriend say? You know, what does the farmer down the road say? We've forgotten what the Scripture said. The Scripture speaks. It speaks. That, that statement is not only a statement concerning the content of what's being said throughout the Bible, but it's also, it's also a testimony of its, its inspiration. The Scripture speaking. I've never had a book speak to me like the Bible. It's amazing. He says, verse 11, for the scripture saith, Whosoever believeth on him, say it with me, shall not be ashamed. Shall not be ashamed. And there's that confidence that we can have. I was talking to a young man yesterday and I asked him, I said, I said, if you died, would you go to heaven? Tell me about when you got saved. And he said this. He said, Well, I got saved when I was a young boy. But there's been a lot of times. That I've resaved myself. And maybe he didn't know how to explain himself and and that sort of thing. But I told him, I said, Let me do you remember the story in the Bible of Nicodemus? He goes, Yeah. Nicodemus, a rich man, a ruler, comes to Jesus by night, afraid of what people might say about him. In that umbrella of darkness, he finds his way to the Lord. Praise God. He'd rather come to Jesus by night than not at all. But he makes his way to Jesus, and Jesus says what? You must be born again. Spiritual birth is just like physical birth. It's a one-time event. And, and you don't save yourself to begin with, much less to re-save yourself over and over and over again. But uh, there's so many people that are confused, and that gospel is so powerful. Well, I think he's here, isn't he? Bless him, Jesus. Bless him. In the South, you can say anything about someone as long as you say, Bless him, Lord. Bless him. <laughs> I love it. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word and your gospel in Christ's name. Amen.